Welcome to Gals Explain, the podcast where two best gals explain anything and everything to each other better than any man ever has. This week, we're diving into the aesthetically pleasing and extremely tasty world of charcuterie. Grab your meats and cheese and maybe a glass of vino and let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, you could Google it, but isn't it more fun to learn it from a friend? I'm Claire. Oh! <gasps> And I'm Michelle. Oh my gosh, spring cleaning up in here with you changing up the game. <laughs> if if you're new or if you're very confused, Michelle normally says I'm Michelle first, but I don't want us to get stagnant. I don't want us to get stale. Just like on your charcuterie, you don't want your crackers to get stale. Oh, there's or, nothing worse. No, there really is not. Though, um, uh, you know, I gotta say, ow. <laughs> I was trying to change it up with my seating in that moment and um, pop my hip. Oh my God. It really hurt. It hurt. Uh, everyone's just going to hear you go, crazy. ow. Um, but, oh my God. I was I had like 50 things on my mind and they all left my head, Claire. Can I say, despite us saying you guys should grab a glass of wine, glass of vino, despite how we sound, we have not had any. <laughs> I wish. I, we're going to be making ourselves so hungry today talking about charcuterie. It's going to make me so upset because I'm not eating charcuterie today. Um, yeah, I'm, I I might have to go to the store after this because I just want it so bad. Meat and cheese is so good. Um, but the real reason I uh, suggested this topic is because I thought that we needed kind of like a spring topic. It's springtime. I think we, and, and the first thing that came to mind when springtime is like, you know, just some charcuterie board with like a glass of rosé wine. And I know I seem like such a white girl right now, like talking about this, but it truly is like one of the like, most pleasing things to just see a charcuterie board and like drink wine. Like, I don't know what's so comforting about it in the springtime with the light breeze and like, oh, you're a little dressed up. Oh my gosh. That's like the most comforting feeling. I am such a fan of snack meals. Like I will make for lunch a series of snacks for myself and put them all on one plate and make my own charcuterie, if you will of snacks so like a dinner that is just a huge charcuterie board it's it it does something mm-hmm. to me that i can't and I even think they, explain like, i grew up on it to be honest like my grandparents yeah. always had it so it's like something nostalgic about it i don't know i love it and and also yeah. i will say this uh, just jumping right into the facts honestly is that i saw that with the pandemic there was like actually a lot of people who got like more and more into charcuterie boards while everyone was stuck inside because there's something like nice and like it feels like you're socializing when you have a charcuterie board because you're always sharing it with someone so whether it's like your roommates your partner your family having a charcuterie board is just like social it feels like you're going out but you're actually staying in like there was even one person who started a business off of making charcuterie boards for other people during the pandemic because it's like it felt like they were like going to a wine tasting by receiving this or something like that. Yeah, I actually looked it up on Google Trends because I was so interested in finding out, you know, how many people had Googled charcuterie or charcuterie board. And it really spiked up, started spiking up in like September of 2019. Um, so before the pandemic. But then after the pandemic, it has spiked more than ever before the peak of it being uh let's see the peak of it was december of 2020 Mm -hmm. so this past fall 
um, last year. But like the numbers are crazier than ever before in people's interest in charcuterie or charcuterie. Are you saying a pun because of the cute, like the word cute in the middle of it? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just so pretty. It's such an Instagram worthy meal. It, you don't feel like you're eating a lot, yet you're super full, and it, you're actually eating terribly because it's just meat and cheese and uh, maybe some fruit with sugar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll I'll get into later what I think makes a good charcuterie board, but there's much more to it than just the meat and cheese. But bare bones charcuterie board, I suppose, is meat and cheese. Do you know the origin of the word charcuterie? I actually do. It's kind of disgusting. Please tell me. It um, <laughs> it comes from the French words for flesh and cooked. So it based, literally, the word charcuterie means cooked flesh. Heck yeah. Every time you're saying like, look at my beautiful charcuterie, you're saying, look at my beautiful cooked flesh. So is charcuterie a French thing then? Yes, but like also kind of no. I feel like charcuterie is um something that is embedded in humans' DNA to... To, like it's just something we love to do it's just so natural for humans to eat in a charcuterie style uh, but the reason why it's called charcuterie is because 15th century french shops that sold pork products that were like basically butcher shops were called charcuteries um but like the process of salting and smoking meats is a is like it dates back to ancient Rome. So like we've been doing this at least since the ancient Roman times, but even past that, I saw this quote somewhere um, and I don't know who to quote it, who who to give this quote to because I searched the quote and then nothing came up with who said this, but it was in quotes everywhere I looked. Anyways, but I think this basically describes the notion well that we all have charcuterie. Um, And they said, so French have their charcuterie, Germans have their delicatessen, Italians have salumeria, um, Spaniards have hamoneria. Japan even has a word for snacks with alcohol called ostumami, which mostly consists of salted and dried seafood with roasted peas and crackers. Essentially, every culture has their version of charcuterie. So, I, I mean... In terms of history of charcuterie, I think like certain practices of like what kind of charcuterie you do probably depends on your culture, like where you come from. Yeah, I think the Italian side of me really comes out when it comes from like talking about charcuterie because I grew up, my mom always made charcuterie. Um, She's Italian. She has Hungarian roots as well. And our charcuterie boards not only had meat and cheese, including a ton of salami, which is very Italian. I was just with my grandmother last week and we went into Wegmans, which is like a huge grocery store. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's new in Chapel Hill and I was visiting my parents Um, and it is huge, like as big as a Costco for just a grocery store. And they have these giant already made charcuterie boards that you can buy, as well as like smaller ones. And we could not pull her away from the salami section. It's a whole section of sliced salami. But I feel like I grew up knowing that charcuterie meant like spreads and dips. And I love a good olive topnod. And uh, Mm. when I went to Italy, when I studied there, my favorite meals that I had there were like, our little uh, like toasted bread, tiny toasted bread with all these different spreads on it, which I would call charcuterie with a little salami or a little prosciutto. Uh, 
I'm, I'm sorry if you're getting hungry at home. But that was what I thought was charcuterie. I thought that the spreads were essential to making a good charcuterie board. And then I started like going out and ordering charcuterie or having it at friends' houses um, pre-pandemic. And not everybody thinks the spreads are essential. So it's my Italian roots telling me you need the olives. No, and honestly, like I thinking about it like growing up I really didn't have charcuterie with any meat because most of the meat on a charcuterie board is like pork and I grew up in a partially kosher household where you can't eat pork but not only can you not eat pork but you also can't eat meat with cheese at the same time um so like that's a kosher thing so like now I do like now I love prosciutto with my charcuterie boards uh because I don't keep kosher but I when I think about it like whenever I do a charcuterie board with my family and like growing up I never have meat it's just cheese with like well we'll talk about this later but it's it's never there so it's definitely a cultural thing based on like what you would usually include but I think we're going to talk about that more what to include in a charcuterie board after recess is that right yeah I think we're gonna take kind of a longer recess today because you guys loved our prank episode last week in April Fools so we wanted to give a little bit more time (laughs) so go put us in your ears and listen while you assemble your charcuterie board and pour another glass of wine for the second half of this episode but first let's get into some pranks Welcome to recess. Hey, Miranda. <laughs> hey, Lizzie. <laughs> if you missed our Instagram post uh, about our prank episode last week, I did include a little screen gif, gif, yeah, gif from Lizzie McGuire of uh, Lizzie and Miranda in the hallway because it gave me Claire and Michelle scheming in high school vibes. So (laughs) (laughs) very much so. (laughs) Yeah, you can find all our uh, posts that uh, our lovely social media manager Claire makes on Galsplained Pod, where you can also find a ton of prompted uh, questions that could have you included in recess if you answer them. Wow. So we asked our audience, it's prank time. What's a prank that you uh, pulled or one that was pulled on you? Uh, This one I see is a classic. Someone said that their brother placed a fake water bug on their bedroom floor and called and she was so scared that she called her dad to kill it, which which I have had happen to me before as a person with uh, two older siblings is a lot of fake animals are thrown your way. Um, Yeah, I I feel like as the youngest sibling, which you and I both are, uh, we got pranked a lot growing up. Maybe my um, really good friend growing up when we were good friends, when we were like little, little kids as well. She has two older siblings that are much older than her and they convinced her when she was little because she hit her like blanket she was holding. She hit her brother. So her older sister convinced her that she had killed her brother <laughs> and that she and that. um No, don't worry. Dead bodies breathe for a few minutes after they've been killed. And that's why he was still breathing. And she was like, you know, five. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. So. These things all kind of come back. Actually, a lot of people personally reach out to me and remind them of pranks that I've pulled. 
and I you wanted have a to reputation? share. <laughs> I did want to share one with you. Freshman year of college, my roommate and I, still my very good friend Rachel, who you've heard me talk about on the podcast before, uh, on April Fools, like wee hours of the morning, so people didn't even realize it was April April Fools yet because it was like you know one a.m. Uh, right after my birthday, March thirty first. We came back and we were looking up like ways to prank people in our hall. And so we got jeans and a hoodie and like men's shoes from someone next to us. And we stuffed them with other clothes and laid it like face down so it looked like a person. Like like it looked like a guy was like laying on our floor. <laughs> yeah. And we kind of dimmed the lights like it was the evening and we ran out into the hall and we were like, oh my God, like Drew, Logan, like this guy passed out on our floor and like we don't know what to do and he won't leave. And it was very funny to, we did it continuously to like all these guys in our hall and to watch them come in and try to macho up and be like, hey man, you gotta go. You gotta get out of here. And then they'd like kick it and realize it wasn't a real person. No. <laughs> would you have fallen for that michelle um i probably wouldn't have even gotten to look at the person i would have just been like we're not going in there get away from there stay away like i i wouldn't have gotten so close to have kicked the the person to even check it out i would have trusted you of course i would have trusted you with that the more <laughs> i'm thinking about this the more i'm getting like angry at you <laughs> Well, it was funny. Uh, harmless <laughs> prank. We did ask next on our Instagram, are you gullible? And we had a lot of people saying yes. Uh, what is it? The percentage wise, 80 to 20%. Yeah. And I was one of the no's. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. Yeah. I, I uh, wonder why we have such a gullible audience, Claire. I don't know. It makes me think we could get away with anything. What if we were like, actually, everything we teach you, completely made up. This has been a long improv. <laughs> You'd think for a show called Galsplain, where it's two people not being who are not scholarly at all, that I guess we would have a pretty global fan base. There's, I mean, and this is not to hate on our audience, but I mean, I put a lot of research into my work, uh, but it just goes to show that even gullible people want to learn things. You know? Exactly. I mean, I think everybody's a little bit gullible. It just depends on the situation. But we did ask, and we were pretty split on this, do people think pranks are harmless or cruel? What do you think, Michelle? I think, I, I thought this was actually an unfair question, Claire, because I think that they are pretty harmless. Like the water bug, pretty harmless. But there's sometimes, I think, when like some people will use the word prank, to be uh to get away with being rude to people or like nasty and i think in those instances it can be cruel have you ever seen the tv show how far is tattoo far tattoo far is that have you never seen it (gasps) yes have you never seen it oh my god you have to youtube it everyone after you finish the podcast (laughs) pull up youtube how far is tattoo far it is it is basically a show where two people who normally are like exes or like on the rocks with each other or friends that like have a secret to share with each other they blindfold themselves and they design a tattoo for the other person and then at the end of the day you reveal what tattoo 
the other person has given you, hosted uh-uh. by Snooki. You've never seen this? I would never want to be a part of this. I would obviously never want to be on this show. People are cruel. Some of the things that they get tattooed on other people. Um, why would you volunteer to do that? You know pe- that someone's going to mess with you. Some people think like revenge is sweeter than any kind of tattoo that they could give you. But I encourage you to go look up a compilation video on YouTube of like the worst tattoos. But some people will get things awfully tattooed on another person. Like this, there was this one guy, and this isn't even that bad for the show. He got a toilet tattooed on the back of his girlfriend's back, like taking up the whole thing. And she's a YouTuber and he wrote, you dumped like over the toilet. And there was like all this stuff spewing out of the toilet. And he was like, I'm dumping you like on national television. You know, you have this tattoo forever to remember it by. And then she starts like crying and walking away. And he's like, this was a prank. I was like, that's not a prank. A prank is something that doesn't last forever. This tattoo will last forever. (laughs) I cannot. That is not good. This is your homework to go watch it. That's messy. Oh, God. That's messy like that toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. Well... That's about all the stuff we got today about pranks from last week. If you have any other thoughts about pranks, feel free to still leave messages on our Lizzie McGuire post on our stories anywhere. Or if you have any other thoughts about the episode you're listening to right now, we would love to hear it at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, but that's about it for recess. We got to get back to uh, eating some, I think, uh, cooked flesh. Is that right? Yeah, I'm going to pop a lactate, so I'm ready to have as much cheese as I can the second half of the episode. (laughs) Wait, for the record, for the record, Claire, I ate a lot of charcuterie on my birthday. Just had to put that out there. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome back, folks. <laughs> no, that's a long welcome back. Um, we're jumping right into what we put in our charcuterie boards. Claire, do you know what the perfect charcuterie board consists of? I think there's two kinds of great charcuterie boards. So I am at that point in my adult life where for Christmas last year, my mother gave me a multi-tiered charcuterie board. And I feel like that's a that's a certain stage of adulthood where you start being given like things for your kitchen and things for your home instead of just like, I don't know, a gift card, cash. Like the- right. It's like the idea that you're going to host something and it's not going to have like delivery food within the yeah. hosting. Like you're not just going to order pizza with your friends in your dorm room. You're going to like put out like some cheese and wine well, and i got it for christmas know? in 2019 so i was only able to use it once <laughs> before uh oh. before the pandemic hit but jeff and i are big fans of having a charcuterie dinner and another thing that we like to do and we got this from my parents spending some time with them during the pandemic and visiting them especially uh last year like last summer and making a big charcuterie board and they have a beautiful backyard bringing it into the backyard um kind of using not only your meat not only your cheese but also whatever else you have in the fridge whatever fresh fruit you have 
whatever jam or crackers or toasted bread or uh, some people put pickles, some people put different tapenades or different even hummus and things like that. I think it's really fun to we have made a charcuterie board before that's kind of just like all right well we don't have anything to really cook for dinner but we have meat and cheese and crackers so let's just like whip together a charcuterie board of all the extra stuff that we have in the fridge (laughs) it's funny because it doesn't like it you make it look so adult but like in reality it's just cheese and crackers like you could have done the same thing when you're a kid right um, essentially but there's something so much more fancy about putting it on a plate with like all this like and making it look nice with like the olives and the like all on like a cutting board or a tray. Like there's yeah. something so nice about it. You know, some people don't like their food to touch on their plate. Charcuterie is like the opposite of that. It is supposed to touch. It's all supposed to be kind of a mess. That's how like you don't want all the cheese in one spot and then all the meats in one spot. You want it all intertwining with itself so that um, no matter where people are around the charcuterie board, it, they always have access to everything, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's really fun. We have a circular charcuterie board as well as just a really big one. So you can like spin it. When we're all like standing around it, you can spin it. So, oh, I've had access to this. Let me spin it around. Um, but you can really put, we've talked about condiments before. There's a lot of nicer condiments that you can put on a charcuterie board. You could put like pesto or ground mustard or any kind of jams on the board. Uh, you could put really anything, any fruit. Some people put veggies. Uh, some people like to make a dessert charcuterie board, which I think is really fun as well. That doesn't have meat and cheese, mm-hmm. so I don't know if it's actually charcuterie, but it'll have like candy and a bowl of like chocolate fondue and all the things you should dip in it. Fruit, pretzels, Rice Krispies. It's like inspired by a charcuterie board. Right, it, exactly. So I think my essential for a charcuterie board is at least two different cheeses. You want normally a soft cheese and a hard cheese. Mm-hmm. A meat that's cut up and folded. A few different kinds of crackers, fruit or nuts to be mixed in, and then everything else that you add in is a bonus. Uh, I consider myself very good at making these. <laughs> I like making them very aesthetically pleasing. I've taken an online course You've in how to make a charcuterie course? board. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't be wow. Italian if I didn't. That is very Italian of you. Well, yeah, I saw that there's like a very scientific method to like what you should put on because you don't want two of very similar cheeses because then you're getting two similar bites. And the whole idea is that you're getting like different bites um, and you're able to choose from those different bites like what you want. Yeah. My advice, go to Trader Joe's. No list, just vibes, right? Like, just go off. Well, because, like, I personally, one of my favorite bites is when you have, like, cheese with an apple. I love a sliced apple on a charcuterie board. But also, one of my favorite halves is that um, my Tia, who lives in San Diego, has a pomegranate tree. And she sends me pomegranate jelly. And that lasts quite a long time. So whenever there's a charcuterie board time in my apartment... Um, I always break out the pomegranate jelly and just put that on some cheese and cracker. Mm. 
So that's your like must have. Like that would be your dream item on every charcuterie board. Pomegranate jelly and um, sliced apples. Obviously, you have the cheese already, but the right, I right. feel like the jelly and the apples, like those are types of things that are like add-ons, you know. Because at bare bones, it's always going to have uh, cheese and meat. Um, a, a actual charcuterie board, but like the crackers you get on top of that are add-ons, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna blow your mind. Here's my favorite my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. All right, a cracker or whatever you want on the bottom. Goat cheese, specifically honey goat cheese. Ooh. It's creamy. It's got that sweetness. Then a slice of a strawberry. And then you drizzle a little balsamic on top. <gasps> it's like your own caprese. You're a chef. I'm not. I stole it from a restaurant, but I do it all the time at home. And people make like a goat cheese and strawberry salad. It's essentially that, but on a cracker. That is interesting. I don't that I want to I want to go to your place for charcuterie night. I'm taking a plane to Charlotte. <laughs> Please do. I'd love to have you. Oh man. Oh, I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can well, I I can make this a little uh less appetizing for us today. <laughs> Please. I know we we've got to we've got to get into we talked about how to put together the charcuterie board and we don't need to talk about how to make meat but it would be fun to learn how cheese is made so i feel like there's times in this podcast claire where we talk about a subject and it's just step by step advice like remember the episode about how to snake a drain that was maybe mm-hmm. one of my favorite lessons on this show this, though not as gross, to me, is kind of nasty. How to make cheese? I, I, I researched this because, you know, you could look up how to get olives, which I also agree. Olives are an essential part of a charcuterie board. For me, I love olives, just snacking on them. I don't even have to put them on anything. I'm just going to eat a whole thing of it. I love olives. But, like, olives grow from a tree. There you go. That's the end of story there. Meat, you dry it, you cure it, you, you cook it, whatever. That's meat kill the animal that's meat but cheese is so weird because there's so many types of it and the process is kind of gross so first you get fresh milk right and then you have to acidify the milk so how do you acidify the milk so this this is a pretty integral process because this kind of changes what route you're going down um how you acidify the milk the easiest thing you could probably do is just pour the acid straight into it. Like you could pour vinegar, which would be an acid, straight into it to acidify. And that would turn it into like a mus- mascarpone or a ricotta, something kind of, you know, creamy like that. But mm-hmm. the usual way is to add living bacteria or cultures to the milk. Like I, I feel like all of us know this. Like all of us know that we're putting cultures and living bacteria into our systems when we're eating cheese but none of us like to think about it um but it's kind of isn't it isn't it good for your tummy isn't it like probiotics kind of yeah uh, it's yogurt right Uh, yeah i mean it's not so i'm hearing cheese is healthy i mean it eats up the lactose in the milk and turns it to lactic acid and i feel like lactic acid can't be bad for you right yeah, unless you're lactose intolerant like me. What? <laughs> <laughs> but you can stick to goat cheese. Goat cheese is dairy free. Oh, what? Yeah, it's not from a cow. But there's still goat dairy, isn't 
goat milk still dairy? So it's dairy, but it doesn't have lactose in it. It doesn't? No. I was not aware of this. Well, anyways, this is, I guess, cow milk only. Um, And after you add the acid, then you have to add a coagulant. Um, Usually rennet is used, which is an enzyme that causes proteins in milk to link together. Now, I actually kind of knew this part before looking it up, because this is the reason why some cheese um, isn't vegetarian like parmesan isn't vegetarian because parmesan they use uh, a rennet that comes from veal calf stomach cells so even if you're not vegan but you're vegetarian some vegetarians don't like to eat parmesan because it comes from like the enzymes of a a veal which i don't know if necessarily kills the veal but i can't imagine they take it while they're alive from their stomach cells yeah (laughs) So, but there is rennet that doesn't come from stomach cells. Some rennet can come from fungus, sap, stuff like that. And basically, you mix the coagulant in the liquid milk until a gel forms. And then you test that surface of the gel to make sure that it's firm. And then after you find out that the surface is firm, you cut the curd down from this giant curd blob into smaller cubes or chunks i know it's so appetizing they showed pictures of this claire it is like gross looking like it looks like barf to look at curd have you ever seen pictures of curd yeah i have i've been on a farm that makes cheese before oh yeah it's so cute um, but it, it turns cute real quick because the smaller these, they, they get smaller and they start looking a bit like the cheese, you know, cubes because the smaller these pieces are, the drier they're and more ageable it is. So like it starts looking a bit more like a cheese block would or a cheese thing would. And then you stir those curds over a vat of that's usually like heated and then you drain the curds and then that's when you just form it and then like salt it. And then it ages and it's cheese. Wow. And I just, it's kind of crazy to think how something so nasty turns so delicious so quickly. Well, it's funny because I hear all this information and for some things I'd be like, ew, I'm not going to have that anymore. But for charcuterie, it's like, okay, I'm still going to eat it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know what? I've actually been to a cheese factory too uh, a while ago and I ate this like you know, on-site made cheese. And it was delicious. Like, what is it about bacteria-infested, vomity-looking curd-origin food that makes it so dang delicious? I don't know. I wonder if the internet could tell us why is charcuterie so good? (laughs) Are you looking it up? Well, I did look up some rapid fire Google questions to end us with, if that's okay. And a big one that came up is why is charcuterie so popular? So apparently it spawned from an age where refrigeration was non-existent. And so we had to preserve meats. Like, you know, a lot of preserved salami and meats like that are smoked and aged so that they have a longer shelf life. And that's apparently why charcuterie was so popular and is so popular now. Mm-hmm. Uh, another rapid fire Google question is charcuterie the same as antipasto, which is like those rolls of uh, meat and cheese 
They both contain cured meats, but they are not the same. I want to say that. My Italian roots are like, no, they're not the same. Uh, <laughs> Interesting, because I've rolled up cheese with, like, meat and called it charcuterie before. <laughs> like, I've taken that, is... that to the beach as a snack and been like, look, charcuterie at the beach. Oh, that's antipasto. Oh, I had antipasto at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and there is a difference if you've heard of crudite before. Uh, this question is, what is the difference between crudite and charcuterie? And crudites are chopped vegetables. So people will make like a crudite plate, which is more like chopped vegetables and different dips to dip it in. Oh, so that's like a vegetable platter. Kind of. I'm sure it's a lot fancier than the ones we get at like the grocery store here. Mm-hmm. And then I have two more questions, and I'm going to kind of end with a funny uh, anecdote that I found. But this one was, does charcuterie have to be on a board? I don't think it does. Whew. I know. Hot takes. What would it be I, on? I think it could be on like a large plate or platter. A board is fine. But I've actually seen a charcuterie table before. Somebody laid down like a giant tablecloth and then laid down like this clear like parchment paper and they made their entire kitchen table into a charcuterie board. It was awesome. It's a lot of charcuterie. Live your dreams. Fair enough. If other people can have a huge Thanksgiving feast, you can have a huge charcuterie board of your table. And how fun, like, when you have a dinner party, you don't have to worry about cooking. You can just lay all that out and people can snack all night because that's what they like to do anyways. Mm -hmm. People feel awkward. They want to go grab a snack. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just what people like to do. But my advice to you, wherever you put the charcuterie board is where people are going to hang out. So if you don't want everyone hanging out in your kitchen, don't put it on your kitchen counter. Go put it elsewhere. That's so true. Like, I host a ton of parties. <laughs> I have a pandemic. I'm like, yes, you're so right. Put that in your living room. <laughs> and the last anecdote that I wanted to share was uh, found through these rapid fire Google questions in an article by Delish called This Woman Got Rejected on Tinder Because a Guy Wasn't Ready, in quotations, to Share His Charcuterie. <laughs> And the exchange that she shared, her name is Daniel Betsy at Sister Sum on Twitter. And she shared a screenshot of her Tinder exchange. And she said, it's like a board full of meat and cheese and grapes that you have with some wine. And he responded, mm, I am sorry. I don't think I am ready for that. <laughs> Interesting. Some men just can't commit, girls. but we'll always be around to share charcuterie with you i'll always share charcuterie with you i'll share charcuterie with anyone um but (laughs) is there anything else you have to share with us about um some cooked flesh claire that's it and perhaps our most basic episode yet (laughs) definitely a gal splained episode (laughs) But make sure to follow us at Pod on Instagram and Twitter where we want to engage with you and know your charcuterie thoughts and especially the answer to this question. What are your essentials on a charcuterie board? Yes. And if you have any pictures, feel free to post and tag us Ooh. in your charcuterie pictures. We will always repost if our social media manager, me, uh, is on <laughs> Instagram at the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, and we will see you next time, folks. I love you, Michelle. I love you, Claire. Bye. Bye.